0: Good morning. Thank you for joining me in this 40 days of prayer where our focus is really on on the the life, the glory, the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today we want to talk about the theme of the ministry of Jesus. Yesterday we looked at Luke chapter 4 at the beginning of the chapter and Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted of Satan. Now we pick up that once that period of testing has taken place, here's what Luke records for us. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To let the oppressed go free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now one of the things you must understand is that the Spirit... Of God, the Holy Spirit is actually the strategist of each phase of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is operating in his spirit equipped, spirit anointed humanity. We even see really clearly Jesus says, I do nothing of my own initiative. I only do what the Father is doing. I only say what the Father is saying. So the Spirit of God is equipping Jesus in his ministry. He's equipping Jesus even in terms of what he does next. The Spirit has led him through a significant time of testing where the Spirit equipped him and empowered him to face Satan and to face a very specific type and time of temptation. Now having come through that that time of ministry preparation, now the Spirit leads Jesus into ministry. The Spirit of the Lord activated, appointed, and anointed Jesus for the ministry of the gospel. Uh, Throughout the region, he began to proclaim and demonstrate the power of the good news to those who were physically and spiritually poor, to the captive, to the brokenhearted, to the blind to the oppressed. Jesus, the great physician of the body and the soul, faithfully not only teaches about the kingdom with authority, but he demonstrates the authority of the kingdom as he casts out demons, as he heals the sick, as he as the blind see and the lame walk. This same spirit that equipped and anointed Jesus is upon every believer. Not a lesser spirit, but exactly the same spirit. This is the promise of Jesus. He says, I will send another. And the Greek word there is very specific in John, where the another is one just like me. To have the Holy Spirit is to have the very presence of Christ activated in your life. You are moving with the authority of, You're moving with the power that Christ Himself moved and ministered with. Now this passage, though, reveals how tough ministry is. Now, I've been a pastor for a long time and there's a pastoral ministry proverb that the people who most want you to come be their pastor are more often than not the very ones who want you most to leave when you begin to be a little too uh, prophetic or a little too direct in terms of dealing with their, with their stuff. And this is what Jesus experienced in Nazareth. He's been moving all in these areas around his hometown. Jesus of Nazareth. That's his hometown. Now everybody's a buzz. They're all excited. It's a Sabbath day. He's in his hometown synagogue. And in less than one sermon, they want him not only to leave town, but they want him dead. This whole congregation in his hometown synagogue, who so wanted him to come and were all excited about what he was about to read and what he was about to do, because they heard about his healing the sick. They heard how he taught with such authority. Now he's in his hometown synagogue and they want him out of town. So the scene unfolds something like this. Jesus is expounding God's word in the synagogue. See, having met Satan face to face, he now marches from the face of Satan into the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of of Satan and he begins to bring the kingdom of God. It is a direct clash between the the fallenness of this world and the and, and the god of this world and Jesus the king of the kingdom of heaven. See his authority is kingdom authority that he preaches with. His his ministry is kingdom authority manifest as the sick are restored as demons have to flee. Jesus goes about bringing the signs of the kingdom, the wonders of the kingdom of God, of what's true of heaven, what was supposed to be true of earth. Jesus is making manifest as He ministers. It's an amazing, awesome thing. He, he's restoring what sin has broken, um, one way to look at it is Jesus was not suspending the natural order. He was restoring it. When you look at Jesus' his ministry and you see His teaching, you see His ministry, His love for the people He ministered to, His, his actions of healing and deliverance, when you see that, that's, That's not suspending the natural order. That's Jesus saying, this is the way it should have been. This is what sin and death and Satan have done. So they're all in that synagogue after having heard all about his ministry. And you must understand, they like what he's doing. They're excited. They're thinking, ah, this is our time. And so... He takes the scroll and it's pretty it's pretty amazing the the story it's it's told very succinctly but out of all the possible scrolls he finds the Isaiah scroll he turns to the messianic prophecy in Isaiah and he reads it to the people it's a dramatic moment if you think about it the son of god the son of man the the fully God, fully man, the, the Messiah is finding the prophecy that Isaiah had made hundreds of years before and he reads it. It's a dramatic moment. This is his message anointed by the Holy Spirit. And he's speaking of the restoration from the curse of sin and the grip of Satan and the inevitability of death. This is that. It's an, it's an interesting passage because it's, it's called the a Passage of Jubilee. It's the, it's the passage that refers to the Jubilee of Jubilees. You see, there was a rhythm of life in the religious life of Judaism, of the Old Testament. They were beginning with the idea of a rhythm for the week six days of work, but on the seventh day you rested. Then in the seventh year there would be there would be a time of restoration, there would be a time of freedom. But seven times seven years, when it became the fiftieth year, now here was the Jubilee. The poor would be restored, those who had been swindled, their land would come back, the slave would be set free, the oppressed would be addressed and in, in that year of jubilee, and what Isaiah is talking about is a jubilee of jubilees when God Himself would bring about the restoration, the salvation, the release from captivity. Isaiah 61 is one of the most beautiful passages, one of the most powerful passages of the grace of God coming in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ and coming in the kingdom, in kingdom reality. It's an interesting thing that we, you know, we live in a day uh, really where we talk a lot about justice or injustice. And I, I'm such a literalist, I know, and, may, and I tend to stand alone in some of these things, but, but in a, there's a sense in which even when we're saying we want justice, we really are saying we want the end of injustice. Because we don't really want justice. Justice would be the, <laughs> that the wages of sin is death. Justice would be that each of us would pay for our own sins. Justice would be that we each die on a cross, forsaken of God. So we don't really want. But I know, you know, in a way, I'm, <laughs> I'm the only one saying this. In some some ways. What we really want is the end of injustice. What we want is the end of racism. What we want is the end of inequality. What we want is the end of greed and oppression. What we want is the end of unfairness. You see, what God offers is more than just justice. He offers the end of injustice And to those who do not even deserve or merit justice, He offers grace. And so the grace of God is what's coming to restore the poor, what's coming to heal the sick, what's coming to deliver the demonized. So Jesus is preaching this, and you've got to follow along, because it's in this passage, and you begin to realize that people aren't getting it. Or they're interpreting it in a way that Jesus does not want them to interpret it whatsoever. Well, what does this mean? Well, they wanted something from him that he was not going to give them. You see, when they read that passage, all they thought of was themselves. Well, all they thought of was, I want freedom from political oppression, I want Rome to be ended, I want Rome destroyed. I want all our oppressors to be destroyed. So Jesus, is that what you're saying you're going to do? You're going to throw off the yoke of Rome? In a way, and this is really important that we get this, in a way what they're saying is we want you to destroy all the evil in the world and all the evil that comes against us. But they didn't understand that they themselves were evil. And if Jesus is to destroy the evil of the world in the way that they're talking, they themselves, not just the Romans, but they themselves, because they are unjust, because they are sinners, because they are evil, they would have to be destroyed too. This is why sometimes people miss the salvation of Jesus because they do not see their own need for a Savior. They may see a need for a political salvation or a financial salvation, or they see the need for some kind of temporal miracle in terms of heal me or or, or make my life better or make my life easier, make this person go away or this problem go away. But they do not see that they themselves are so evil that Christ had to die for them. See, the only... You and I are so evil that the only punishment that would pay for our evil was the death of the Son of God. That's pretty evil. And you say, well, I'm not as evil as other people. It doesn't matter. There were many ways in which the people in Nazareth were not as evil as some of the people in other parts of the world, but if you sinned against God in one area, you sinned against Him in all areas. There are no venial sins. Every sin is mortal. And if you've broken the commandment in one place, the Scripture says you've broken them in all places. At some point, you see, we cannot be like the people in Nazareth who said, just just save us from the Romans. Just save us politically. Just save us nationally. They had no idea that Jesus had come to destroy the evil of the world without destroying us. But we see in Isaiah 53, by His stripes we are healed. He was was wounded for our iniquity, bruised for our iniquities. The Lord laid on Him the evil, the iniquity, the sinfulness of us all that we might be saved. He was destroyed so that we would not be destroyed, so that He could save the world without destroying the world. This passage in Luke 4 is reminiscent of the other prophecy of Isaiah. I'm sure Jesus had this one in mind. Isaiah 42, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. I love this next verse. Please hear this. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth. I've never, probably never been more moved by any passage about the character of Jesus than verse 3. Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break, a dimly burning wick he will not quench. Isn't this an amazing truth that the very Romans who nailed Jesus to the cross are the very Romans for whom he died? Even those who sought to kill him, even those who sought to destroy him, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here is our Jesus who knows exactly what's going on in your life. He would not allow you to be destroyed. He preferred to be destroyed so that you would not be destroyed because a bruised reed he will not break and a little fire he will not quench, he will not put out. This is one of the great truths of Jesus' ministry. Jesus did not come to give us a salvation that dies when we die. Come on, that that's so powerful. Jesus would not, could not, did not give us a salvation that dies when we die. You see, a political salvation dies when you die. A healing salvation dies when you die. Jesus had to suffer and had to die in our place so that he could give us a salvation that would put to death, death. Death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Paul mocks death because Jesus gives us a salvation that does not die when we die. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus said. He who believes in me, even though he's dead, yet shall he live. This, This passage is painful about the ministry of Jesus. His own hometown, the people who heard Jesus, they were... They were happy to hear Jesus read his wor- the word. They were happy with that. They were excited about that. But they became furious when Jesus began to apply the word. See, they wanted a Savior who would show the works of power of the kingdom, but they didn't want the king. You see, the kingdom doesn't come without the king. And we live in a day and age that's just like Nazareth. People want the benefits of the kingdom. They want there to be equality. They want there to be the healing of the sick. They want there to be equity and justice and fairness and all of these things, but they don't want the king, and the kingdom doesn't come without the king. And truthfully, what the king gives is a salvation not just temporarily or temporal. He gives a salvation that goes beyond death. Now, a lot of times when you're preaching, you realize that the people either are not getting what you're saying or they're interpreting what you're saying wrongly. And Jesus immediately, the Son of God, preaching the Word of God, applying the Word of God, realizes this congregation doesn't get it at all. And so what Jesus does is he tells them two stories from the Old Testament Two stories to show them how far their hearts are from God. So basically, those this is a synagogue of Yahweh. Jesus reveals that their hearts are far from Yahweh. So he tells two stories of Elijah's day. And these are fascinating stories that are not to be missed because he says he talks about this, this widow, and he says, There were all kind of widows. In Elijah's day, there were all kind of widows because of the, you know, the, the rain being held back and all of that kind of stuff. He says there were all kinds of widows, but where did Elijah go? He went to a Gentile widow. Oh, that makes him furious. Then he says there were all kind of lepers in the land during Elijah's day, but who did Elijah heal? He healed a Syrian by the name of Naaman. He... he He is showing them, he's showing them something they don't want to hear. They want to hear God is for us and he's against everybody else. We deserve the justice of God and everybody else deserves the wrath of God. We are right in hating everybody else and assuming or presuming on the love of God and how God should treat us. But here in the scriptures is the grace of God through the prophet of God being spoken to a Gentile widow, somebody who doesn't deserve because she's not of the right race. Here's the grace of God being shown to a Syrian leader who doesn't deserve the benefits of the kingdom because he's not of the right race. This is what Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to people whose hearts are so far from God, but who demand and presume that they should have the favor and the blessing of God and everybody else should be wiped out. Ooh. One of my one of my friends that I really I really have great respect and admiration for wrote today's devotional for the Christian Missionary Alliance on the Ministry of Jesus. And she writes this, she says, just her name is Sandy Kang. Uh, she and her husband, Ted, are the lead pastors of, of a, a church in San Jose, California. She said, just before the outbreak of COVID-19, a new health center was launched in one of the most impoverished communities in San Jose, California. Its mission was not only to proclaim proclaim the good news, but to demonstrate its power to heal the sick and set people free from the curse of poverty. Believers volunteered countless hours to fill out applications for rental relief funds, administer COVID tests, deliver boxes of food, and provide educational and tech support to families. Thousands experienced God's love and mercy in tangible ways. More than 85 people surrendered their lives to Jesus and were baptized as they heard the message of Christ and experienced healing and deliverance for their souls. The good news of Jesus is all the more good and powerful when it's preached both in word and deed. This is in direct contrast to this passage in regards to how the synagogue responded. This is probably one of the saddest responses. San Jose Church responded to the COVID-19 with the mercy and grace of the kingdom of God, and people came to the king. But listen how the synagogue responded in Jesus' day. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. see, they're furious one that their own selfish political desires are not going to be met, that Jesus isn't going to overthrow the Romans and make their lives easier and better. They're furious with that. But secondly, that he would bring in these Gentiles, that he would bring in these undeserving people and show mercy and grace, such as to to provide for a widow who doesn't deserve it and to heal Naaman, who was a Gentile. This fills them with rage at Jesus. You're not the Savior. Is basically they're saying, you're not who you say you are. And they got up in verse 29. They drove him out of the town, led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could hurl him off the cliff. This is what they wanted to do to him. People say, wouldn't it be great if Jesus were your pastor? Well, he was preaching in his hometown and they wanted to kill him. They wanted to throw him off the cliff. Here's what the Scripture says, though. It wasn't his time. Jesus said, No one takes my life from me. I freely give it up. And in verse 30 it says, He passed through the midst of them, and he went on his way. That's a a really powerful little statement. He went on his way. Do you know what that means? He removed the Scriptures from them. He took the kingdom from them. He left them in the kingdom of darkness. Here's a synagogue, basically a church of its day. And he leaves he leaves them and takes the scriptures from them. He went away and if you do a study of the gospels, he never goes back to Nazareth. He never comes back. This is this is really really telling. What kind of savior Do we understand Jesus to be? And what kind of people did Jesus come to save? And are we bringing the kingdom to the same people that Jesus would bring the kingdom? I mean, there are churches in Revelation, it says where he takes away his lampstand. There are churches that no longer have the scriptures, even though they have all the Bibles in the world. This is probably one of the saddest passages. I I hope tonight I have to do this too often. But he went away. Oh Jesus, we want the kingdom because we want the King. We want the salvation You offer us because it's not a salvation that dies when we die. But it's a salvation that's not just for us. It's the end of injustice but it is the fullness of grace and mercy to undeserving, unable to earn, but yet unable to lose what You've given to us, even in death. In Jesus' name, Amen.